Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. So we're continuing our series. In fact, we're concluding our series this morning entitled Church Complete. And uh, for those of you who may not have been around for the last number of weeks, let me just remind you that we've been looking at the different metaphors for the church taken from the book of Ephesians. And some of those that we have covered up to now is the church being God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let's not forget that. We're not only his amazing work of art, this masterpiece that he's created, but he's created us for purpose. And not only has he created us for purpose, but he saved us for purpose. I think we're going to count how many water bottles fall during a Sunday morning preach, okay? No pressure there. Don't feel bad. We also looked at how the church is the household of God, how it is the body of Christ. And then last week, Liam spoke about the church being the bride of Christ. So this morning, it feels like we're almost in conflict with that by talking about the church being the army of God. But of course, there are no conflicts in Scripture. We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah just as we serve and appreciate the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. The church is both the bride and the army. But before we look at the church being an army, I think it's a good reminder to look at one of the pictures of God himself being a warrior. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, we see here how the Lord is a warrior. And it goes on to say, shattering his enemies. In Psalm 24, verse 8, the question is asked, who is this king of glory? It's rhetorical, and the answer is the Lord mighty in battle. In Revelation 19.11, we see how Jesus judges and makes war. And so my point is, is that God doesn't shy away from the concept of warfare, or even of the analogy of him being a warrior. It's part and parcel of who he is. And so before we look at our key text and the metaphor that we want to unpack this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, it is worth noting the varying descriptions in scripture to us as believers being soldiers in this army. And so in Philippians 2 verse 25, we see how Paul refers to Epaphrodites as a fellow soldier. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul writing, and he says to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus, he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. No, he wants to please his commanding officer. But here's an important truth. A soldier can only be a soldier if he is part of an army. If a soldier is not part of an army or a person is not part of an army, then either they are a civilian or a mercenary or worst of all, a deserter. Let's never forget that. But the other thing about being a soldier is knowing that we're in a spiritual battle but then also being willing to engage in this battle, to fight the good fight as a soldier, 
knowing who your enemy is and knowing how to overcome him and how to oppose, stand against and resist this devil. And Paul helps us understand that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. No, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Friends, let's never forget that. Not only do we fight differently to the world, but God has given us weapons spiritual weapons that are incredibly powerful to undermine, to destroy, to demolish every stronghold. And I think it's passages like this that remind us that the church is a battleship. It's not a cruise liner. I've been on a cruise liner. Man, it was amazing. But I'm glad it was only for five days. I actually saw on the news the other day of a couple who who were traveling three years on a cruise liner as part of their retirement. Now, good on them. But man, I would get bored and fat. (laughs) But friends, so often we treat and we see the church as a cruise liner. I'll join the church for the cruise that I'm going on. And oh, this cruise must serve me. This church must serve me. Everything must be at my back, back and call. Whatever, want, whatever I want, I, I'm going to get because that's how I view the church. Friends, that's not the church we see in Scripture. And just like this church is a battleship and not a cruise line, in the same way, it is an army and not a hospital. But let me also say, every army has a sick bay. And there are times where we do get hit and knocked around by the things of this world, by the enemy who's the the prince of this world, that we do need to spend some time in sickbay. But we don't live there. The church is not a hospital. There comes a time where through the grace and the recovery of God, we get back on our feet again and we get back into the battle. Why? Because this world is a battleground. It's not a playground. It is a battleground. Why? Because there is a very real enemy who prowls around looking for any opportunity, any opening that you give him that he can come in and devour and destroy. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. So what is our response to this? Well, it's knowing that the church is the army of God. That the church has been commissioned, it's been called, and it's been equipped to overcome the works of the devil. To stand against every one of his works. And the way we overcome him is by pushing back the powers of darkness and extending the kingdom of light. It's the role of the church. And for that to be the role of the church, it's got to be the role of every believer who makes up the church. That we don't settle in in the darkness that we find ourselves in, we make a difference. We allow our lights to shine and we see the kingdom advance through who we are, through our responses in life, through our activities, through our evangelism, through our prayer, through our interaction with people, the kingdom comes. Amen. So let's get into our scripture. That was all just a warm introduction to where we're going this morning. 
All right, so if you do have a Bible, you're more than welcome to turn there. I know some people like to hear the rustle of pages. Uh, or if you have an electronic Bible, you're most welcome to use it. But for those of you who didn't come with a Bible, I won't say shame on you. I've put it behind so you can enjoy it and follow as well. All right, so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read from verse 10 through to 18. Of course, Paul writing, he's coming to the end of this amazing letter. And as we said, all these metaphors come from this book, and you'll see them if you read through the book or the letter to the Ephesians. But this is what's written here in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And again, I think it's a reminder to us that strength only comes from the Lord and from us being in him. eh? There's no strength in ourselves that will accomplish anything. But it's from the Lord and us being in the Lord. And then he says, put on. And let me remind you again, this is your responsibility. God doesn't do this for you as much as he asks you to do it. Put on the full armor of God. Again, not just a part of it, not the parts that suit you or even the parts that you feel are necessary for your life. No. Put on the full armor of God. Because you also have to remember that the, the enemy, the devil, is no fool. He will attack you where you're unprotected. And here's the reason. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, now that you know this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if it comes, when it comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so out of this passage then, we see that there are a number of things that we, we being individual believers as well as the church, are called to be and to do when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so this morning, I want to have a look at our individual responsibilities as soldiers that are part of this army but also then our corporate responsibility as the church, as the army of God, and what this passage means for us. Yes, individually, but also in our togetherness. Sound all right? All right. So out of this passage, we'll see there are eight things that, that, that come out here. Now, I know eight seems long, 
But we're only going to spend hopefully a few minutes on each of these. All right. You got faith for that? Good luck. All right. Stopwatch is on. I can see Liam's put that as a test, as a, as a challenge. Eh? All right. Here we are. Number one, this, there's this call that Paul gives here. And the first thing is to stand and to stand firm. Again, both as individuals, individual believers, but also as the church. Yes, the universal church, but more specifically, the village church. There is this call to stand. And Paul uses the word stand four times in this discourse, which then tells me it must be important when it comes to spiritual warfare. In fact, he says the armor is given so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. And so to stand means to hold your ground. It means to resist. It means then that we don't retreat, nor do we give ground or any gains that we have made back to the devil. And let me tell you, there's probably a time like never before where the church is being tossed about by the voices and the opinions and the culture and the false ideologies of this world and its systems, eh? probably more than ever. But equally, can I say, rather than being swayed by all of these things, the church needs to make a stand and take a stand when it comes to things like righteousness, truth, and justice. And the church needs to lead the way in it. Number two, it's for us to be a people of truth. In other words, it's us coming in the opposite spirit to the devil and to this world. But not only to be a people of truth, but to be a people of the truth. The truth of the gospel, which is depicted by a belt. And earlier on in the, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul writes and he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard, what? The word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And so being people of truth, in essence, is being people of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. To be those who know the truth as it's revealed in Scripture, those who will speak the truth, but also those who will live the truth out. Because that's how we overcome the wiles of the devil. Being a people of truth. And you hold to the truth. But let me remind you, truth is under attack. Eh? I don't need to tell you that. Truth is under attack. In that for so many, truth has become relative rather than absolute. Truth will be whatever you believe it to be. Not according to God's word. And the church which scripture tells us is the pillar and the foundation of the truth, needs to hold the truth up for all to see, for this world to see. And should we compromise on truth or should we water the truth of the gospel down? I want to tell you we'll bring the whole of society down with us as has happened in many parts of the world or in many, many different times of history. True, eh? 
But it also means for the church that we need to be committed to the entire gospel message, to the full counsel of God's truth. Otherwise, we become lopsided. And we end up with excesses, extremes, preferences, and even prejudices when it comes to the truth of God's word. And so we as a church are on about justification just as much as we are about sanctification. We believe in the word of God and the spirit of God. We believe in grace and effort, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We believe in faith and works. It's never either or. It's always both and eh? when it comes to scripture. How many people have you heard and certainly have asked me, they say to you, oh, the village church, is that a word church or is that a spirit church? Well, I always quote Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's like someone asked A.W. Tozer, which is, they asked, asked a, try that again. A.W. Tozer was asked this question, which is more important, this, the word or the spirit? And Tozer replied, which is more important in an airplane, the left wing or the right wing? <laughs> Both are crucial. Both are essential. We're a church that holds to the full truth of God's word and his counsel. Amen. Amen. Number three. It's for us to celebrate and to understand our righteousness depicted as a breastplate. But again, let me remind you that it's not a righteousness in ourselves because that does nothing. But it's an imputed righteousness that is given to us because of Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that how God made him, speaking of Jesus, who had no sin to be sin. In other words, to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God because of Jesus and us responding to Jesus. We become the righteousness of God. And so this becomes our status. This becomes our position in heaven. We are righteous we are now in right standing with God and the theological term is we are justified. Just as if we'd never sinned. That's how God sees us. But our practice is that we're becoming righteous. That we're on this journey of becoming what we are in position, righteous in Christ. And it's the process of sanctification. Both are important. But let me also just say to you this morning that our standing with God doesn't change when we mess up. We don't suddenly become unrighteous. We don't suddenly become unjustified. No, the truth is we may act unrighteous and we may even do unrighteous things, but that doesn't change our status as believers. But what it does do is affect our intimacy, our fellowship, and our closeness with God. Definitely. And that's why this is a part of the armory, part of our protection. 
Because the devil loves to accuse us when we mess up, doesn't he? Things like, you can't be a Christian if you did that. Or God's given up on you. There's no way back to God for you. You'll never get to heaven. And so we could go on and on and on. But let me remind you that his accusations always come in the wake of his deceptions. And so he deceives you and then he accuses you. And he's done it throughout life from the Garden of Eden right through to this morning. He'll do everything he can to deceive you. And if that isn't bad enough, then he accuses you for being deceived. But God gives us a way back. A way back to fellowship and intimacy with him. And 1 John 1, 9 helps us understand that. If we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How wonderful is that? And so your righteousness, your positional righteousness in God's eyes isn't dependent on your behavior. But your behavior is paramount in God's eyes. Either releasing the blessing of God or the chastisement of God. Your choice. But when it comes to us as a church, can I say, let's live out the righteousness that has been imputed to us as his people. Because at the end of the day, it's our practical righteousness, not just our positional but our practical righteousness that gets people's attention. And it's what points them to Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us that in Matthew 5, 16, where he says, let your light, let your righteousness, your position, your status in heaven shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your practical outworking of your righteousness and glorify your Father in heaven. And so as God's army, It's our righteousness that advances God's kingdom and it's what pushes back the powers of darkness. That's why it's so important. Number four, it's for us to be a ready and prepared people depicted by army boots. And it's not only ready to do battle against the enemy, but a readiness to share the gospel of peace with whoever, whenever. Any opportunity we have, there's a readiness to shine and to share the love of Jesus with people. Remembering that the, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. Eh? And it's a power not only to save, but it's also a power to repel the works of the devil. Because every time someone comes to faith in Christ Jesus, not only do all the angels in heaven rejoice, but can I also tell you the devil and his demons get routed because of the power of the gospel. As a church, we need to be those then who are defending and confirming the gospel. Philippians 1.7 to be those who are ready and prepared to give anyone an answer for the reason that we, that we put our hope in Christ. Didn't say that very well, huh? 1 Peter, what is it, 3 verse 15. 
always be prepared to give a reason to be able to answer someone with the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Got to be ready to do that. But you know, the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps would say to his church, wake up, O sleeper, because it's time for the church to arise and shine, holding out the gospel of peace as the hope for this world. That's our responsibility. It's time to be ready. It's time to be alert. It's time even to wake up from our slumber because we have the gospel of peace that is the only hope for this world and we need to be ready to speak it and share it. eh? Number five, to be a people of faith which is depicted as a shield that protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. But can I say for that to happen, We've got to exercise and apply our faith. And apply it as a verb, not just as a noun. Eh? It's so it's to hold up the truth of God's word, irrespective of the, of the circumstances, and be able to stand behind his word for protection. That's the picture of the shield. Remembering that faith comes by hearing and applying the word of God. Romans 10. But then it's our combined faith. It's our combined faith is, is, is what shields and protects us as a church. And I don't know if I need to tell you this, but let me tell you anyway. The devil wants to destroy the church. Not only does he want to destroy and disrupt and disturb your life, he wants to do the same in the church. Generally, Locally as well. Even the village church. But Jesus is praying. And he's praying that the faith of the church will not fail. Like he prayed for Simon in Luke 22 verse 32. And when Paul wrote this, no doubt he would have seen this in in action. But when Roman soldiers stood with their shields shoulder to shoulder, they would form an impregnable wall of defense. Nothing could get through. And friends, I want to say that needs to be the picture of the church. Every one of us with our shields up, protecting the person next to us and behind us. And they in front of us are protecting us. But of course, what happens when you lower your shield, when you take your eyes off what's happening and off the enemy's tactics, well, let me tell you, flaming arrows get in. And they're not only going to pierce you, but they could potentially pierce those around you. And that's why Shane started in Romans about us being members of his body. And we're not only members of his body, but we're soldiers in his army. And we need each other. And we need each other's protection. And we need each other's encouragement. And we need each other's support. And we need each other's shields to stop the enemy getting in and affecting brothers and sisters. That's the picture. But faith not only protects, can I say it also causes us to advance as God's army. 
Because if one person's faith can put a thousand to flight, and if two people's faith can put 10,000 to flight, can you imagine what will happen when we operate and work together with unified faith? Holding together, holding the line, pressing forward together, going in the same direction, believing the same things, taking hold of the things that God has called us as a church to take hold of, but doing it together. Let me tell you, we'll be unstoppable as the church, as the army of God here in Horsham Downs and in Narawahia. Number six, those who are secure and certain of their salvation and all that it achieves, both eternal life, but also victory in the life that we're living here on earth, our salvation. Christ is our conquering king who leads us in triumphal procession. The devil is a defeated foe who was conquered at the cross. Ephesians 2.15 and other places spell it out. That's why the knowledge of our salvation is depicted as a helmet that protects the mind, which is the battleground of our lives, eh? the enemy can get in there, man, he affects every area of our lives. Why? Because you become what you believe. Which is why Paul says that we've got to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. It's also why we need to think about things which are true, which are noble, which are right, which are pure, which are lovely, which are admirable, which are excellent and praiseworthy and not things that are contrary to that. Not always harping on those things, the negative things. Because, man, we just open the door for the enemy. And remember, he is the accuser of the brethren. eh? His native language is to lie and to lie to you. We've got to make sure we keep that helmet in place. eh? Number seven. To be speakers... And proclaimers of God's word, which again is depicted as the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But interesting, if you do a bit of a study on it, which I did in preparation for this, that word, our English word, word, the word word, here means utterances or utterance. In other words, to wield the sword, we need to speak And we need to quote the utterings of God. As Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted by the enemy, when he said, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And on three occasions, every time the enemy came, Jesus counted him with the utterances of God with what God has said and he used it as his defense and as a weapon to overcome the enemy. Why? Because it's that authority that resists the devil and compels him to flee. James 4 verse 7. And so Jesus is the word of God and as such there is great power in declaring his name, his character, 
and the victory that we have in him. Declaring it, speaking it as the utterance of God. Not your words, but the word of God. That is a powerful sword. And it's a sword of the spirit empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things. And number eight and lastly, it's to be a people and a church that prays. Now, prayer may not have a piece of armor attached to it, but let me tell you, it is a powerful weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare, which is why the enemy will do everything he can to distract us from it. eh? Everything. In case you don't know it, prayer is hard work, (laughs) which is why we need to pray in the spirit and with the spirit's help. Especially when praying for others. eh? Much easier to pray for yourself and your needs and your wants and your desires and, and your, 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 your. I've been so guilty of that. But it becomes a whole lot more challenging and a whole lot more stretching when we start to pray for others and other situations and different things happening. But here's the truth of this. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Please hear that this morning. A prayerless church is a powerless church, which is why we gather together to pray. It's why we as elders see prayer as a high priority. Every Wednesday morning, as elders and their wives, we gather for at least an hour to pray for the flock of, the TV, of TVC, the village church. Because we believe in prayer. We know the power of prayer. It's why we have elders prayer before our pre-service prayer on a Sunday morning. It's why we have a pre-service prayer. Why we have a Thursday night prayer. Why we have a Thursday morning prayer. Why there's a Wednesday morning in Narawai here prayer time and other prayer meetings. And why we pray in life groups and other things. Because there is power in prayer. And we do not want to be a powerless, weak, insipid church. We want to move the powers of darkness. We want to see the kingdom breaking forth. We want to see great things happening in God's economy and by God's word and through our prayers. We hold to that. We have some major opposition in regard to moving our roundabout. I'll say our roundabout. Is it ours? It's going to be be in faith. Shield of faith up. Let me tell you, we have had opposition like, like Nehemiah's day when he went, was called to build the wall. Opposition to the moving of that roundabout. What is our response to it? Do we just sit on our hands? Or do we get on our knees? I choose to get on our knees. Privately, personally, but also as a church. There is power in prayer. Which is why we gather together to pray. Listen how Paul relied on the prayers of others. Other believers. He knew he he couldn't do it on his own. In 2 Corinthians 1, and we are bringing it to a close. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10 and 11... Man, I get moved by this. And he says, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. But here's the key. 
On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Paul's saying it's your prayers that are the key here. I am in need of your prayers. We cannot, I cannot do this without your prayers. And then he goes on and he says, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And you know what is the church? We not only need each other, but we need each other's prayers. Why? Because we were never called to journey alone, nor were we ever called to fight alone. No, God puts us together because we are stronger together. And he asks us to pray together. Here's why. Because if two of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, pray together in my name, there am I with them. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 and 19 and 20. I'll give you a heads up. On Saturday, the 10th of February, 2024, two months time, we're going to be having a day, 12 hours of prayer and fasting. From six in the morning till six at night. Every hour, there will be elders who will lead a session of prayer. We're asking you to sign up for at least one of those hours. It'll happen another way here. It'll happen here. And I want to ask you, and this is part of our praying, believing for some big things that we're needing and trusting God to do. But also for what 2024 holds. We had an incredible elders planning time last weekend. And let me tell you, God has sparked some incredible things for us as a church to do, to be involved in, to give ourselves to. We need your prayers. And so here's my request. If you are part of the village church, not just join the village church, but as Brennan said this morning, if God has added you to this church, I'm going to ask you to participate in that day of prayer and fasting. We don't expect you to be here for the full 12 hours. You're more than welcome to if you want. But we're going to ask you to come for one hour, but to pray and fast from six till six. Because we're serious with what God's called us to. We mean business with God. We want to count. We want to make a difference. And prayer's the key. All right. So, in conclusion, the church is an army because we're in a spiritual war. But God has given us everything we need in armor and weaponry to counteract the devil and every one of his devices. The challenge then is for us is to step up and to use what God has given us. No good just knowing about it. No good reading about it. It's what we do with it, how we apply it, how we live this out is the key. Why? So that we can stand firm. That we can be a people of truth and a people of the truth. Where our righteousness is on display for all to see. Where we're ready and prepared to do battle against the enemy by pushing back the powers of darkness with the gospel of peace. Where our faith is living and active. 
not just a noun, where our salvation is a present reality, where we are declarers of God's word and not just keepers of his word, as important as that is, and where we are prayers, not just believing in the power of prayer, but then doing it and doing it together. Amen. Before I pray, in our elders' prayer time this morning, Liam had something that I feel will tie in so well here. So he's going to just facilitate that, and we're going to see if there's any ministry that comes out of that. Just this morning, um, I felt the phrase, disarm to rearm. Disarm to rearm. Now, I know to disarm is weaponry, but I just felt it in the broader context of the armor that God desired and wanted to disarm and disrobe you of the things that you've put on yourself, but not, not the things that were God's armor, but maybe things that were part of the schemes of the devil, whether it was the lies of the devil, doubts, discouragement, fear, anxiety, whatever those things are, schemes of the enemy, placing and putting those on you instead of God's armor. But before God's armor could before you could clothe yourself with God's armor, he needed to disrobe and, and, and disarm you of those things that are from the enemy. And so uh, I don't really have much of a plan. I'll, I'm going to pray and trust that God does it. I can't make it happen. So let's pray. If that's you, I encourage you to respond. 1 Peter 5, 7, I think it says, um, cast all your anxieties unto him because he cares for you. To cast is to place or it's to kind of dump it at the cross. And so... That's my encouragement to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And so I ask in Jesus' name for every single person in this room, Lord, that has put on things that are not of you. Lord, where the schemes of the enemy have seemingly been successful, we come against it in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would enable them to take every thought captive, to recognize and to see the work of the enemy, Lord, and to come against it in the authority that you have, Jesus. And so we just ask that you would remove that now in Jesus' name wherever they may be seated in this room, that you would remove it in the name of Jesus and that, Lord, you would enable them by your Spirit to clothe themselves and to put on your armor. So we come against everything of the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen.